Isn't it wonderful to know that God's here? That His presence is here, that He has a plan for today. And that plan includes you. If you're a guest with us, we want to say welcome. We are so glad you're here. Let us know that you are here. Uh, There's a clipboard on the end of the inside row. If you see one, pass it down. If you could share your your phone number and address, we'd love to get in touch with you. And thank you for being here. But even if you're a guest here, if this is the first time you've been here, we want to know that God has a plan for you today as well. I just ask you to to bow quietly right now and uh, say a prayer like this. Say it the way you need to say it, but say it something like this. Lord, I realize you're going to show me your plan today. And as you do that, give me the courage to take hold of it, to grab it, and to be led by you. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. There's a passage in Matthew chapter 5. It's actually the the Sermon on the Mount. He's given us the Beatitudes at the beginning of the, the, the Sermon on the Mount, and and told us, this is what the kingdom of heaven is like. This is what it's like. It's for those who are hurting, broken, uh, forgotten, hungry, thirsty. This is, the people are, the, the kingdom of God is for people who are in need. And Jesus says, if you are my disciples, the kingdom is not far off. Actually, you're in the middle of the kingdom. You're right in the middle of the kingdom. The kingdom is part of your life now. You're no longer citizens if you're a Christian, if you've accepted Christ in your heart, your, your citizenship, as First Peter says, is where? In heaven. Now, many of us have dual citizenship. My wife has dual citizenship. Actually, she has tri-citizenship. U.S., Ecuador, and where else? Heaven. If you know Christ today, you are a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. That's who you are. The kingdom of God is yours. So I encourage you in your Bibles to find Matthew chapter 5, verse 13. uh, Matthew chapter 5. Bring your Bibles to church. I know we we throw it on the screen now, but but bring your Bible. Uh, You know, if it's your your iPod, your iPad, your your Kindle, your whatever you have, or even your, as I could say, your analog Bible, uh, you know, the paper ones, they still make those. Uh, Bring those as well. Uh, But I want to read one verse to you. Matthew chapter 5, and we're going to begin in verse 13 today. Matthew chapter 5, verse 13. I'm going to be reading from the New Living Translation, and I would like you to read this passage with me. It's only one verse. Keep your version uh, open, but I want you to read this with me, okay? Why don't you stand up? Let's honor God's Word today. Uh, Say, we just sat down. Uh, Let's honor God's Word, and let's say this together. You are the salt of the earth. But what good is salt if it has lost its flavor? Can you make it salty again? It will be thrown out and trampled underfoot as worthless. This is God's word for us today. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Now, what I want to do today is to kind of go through this verse and uh, give you a little little word-by-word insight into this three sentences here. Uh, hold on with me. I think uh, we, we could just very well be different by the time we get through with this today. It starts off with the word you. You. 
Don't you love it when somebody says that? You. You. Usually it's not a, a good thing, is it? Uh, you know, when I could do premarital counseling, one of the things that I try to encourage spouses and those who, those who have, are, are engaged, getting married, is to not use you. Use I. Uh, because you just has an accusatory ter- tone to it, does it? You just see a finger pointing at you, don't you? You. You. Well, Jesus has gathered his disciples up on the mountain. He's begun to teach them, and he just says, you're part of the kingdom of heaven. If you're my disciples, if you've decided to follow me, which they had, they left everything, left the boats, and he said, come follow me, and they had. If you've chosen to follow me to be my disciple, then the kingdom of heaven is yours. You're different now. You're my disciple. And since that, since there's the fact that you're part of the kingdom of heaven now, you, pointing to his disciples, are the salt of the earth. Now, that word in the original language is not just you. It is redundant with emphasis. It says, literally, you yourselves. It doesn't need it in the Greek, but it's, it needs to be there for emphasis, and it doesn't really translate in English very well. But if we were going to translate it in English better, we would say, you yourselves or you alone. Anybody like old war movies? My dad loves them, the John Wayne movies, the bridge over the River Kwai, isn't that what it was? Those ones. And uh, the ones where it's that, that mission that a few people were called to, to do, and it was theirs and theirs alone. If they didn't accomplish the mission, it wouldn't get accomplished. It was their mission. So the the commander would look at those young men and say, you and you alone, this is your mission. When we hear these words, we need to hear Jesus looking at us as disciples. Those of us who have accepted him as our, our Savior, who have been forgiven of our sins, who have been cleansed and made brand new, we need to see him looking at us, all of us join hands with all Christians across church lines. If we know Christ, he's looking at all of one, each one of us, but he's looking to us specifically here today and saying, you and you alone. Not academics, not the economy, not our country, not politics, nothing else. You and you alone are the salt of the earth. We can't sit back and hope that something else will fix anything. We can't sit back and hope that anything else will have the influence that God has called us to be in the world. When we do that, we advocate our mission. We say, we don't need it anymore. But Jesus is looking at us today and says, you are the salt. It's your job. If you know Jesus, this is your deal. It's your mission. So what's our mission? Our mission is to be salt. Now, we've grown up with that phrase. It's a common vernacular of English. Those people are salt of the earth. What's that mean? They're just good, down-to-earth people, right? But in the first century in Palestine, when Jesus used these words, they were saying, huh? What in the world does that mean? Salt of the earth? 
Well, you have to understand that salt was a very precious commodity. It was one of the most useful things you could have. They used it in everything. If you go in the Old Testament, it was used in sacrifices. Uh, it was used to, as part of offerings. They were called to use salt. Uh, it was used in purification rituals uh, in the temple. It was used in religiously all over the place in, in, ancient, uh, in the ancient Israel it was, during the temple time. It was used there. But it was also used as a preservative. You ever had salt pork? Ever had some good bacon? Uh, some good jerky? Uh, well, that, that was done by just putting salt over it and just letting it cure. And they could put salt over meat, and it would last and last and last and last and last. Without the salt, guess what happened? It would putrefy, there'd be stuff growing in it, and you couldn't eat it. But if you put, covered it in salt, it preserved it. They also used it medically. Now, I am so glad we're not back then. We have a saying, it's like rubbing what? Salt into your wounds. Well, that comes because comes from because we know that it would hurt. Have you ever had that little uh, paper cut and then you ate your french fries? And the salt, it stings, doesn't it? But you know what it also does? It cleans. Kills bacteria. Uh, now, I'm glad we have other things uh, that don't hurt quite so much. But back in that day, they would rub salt in it to make it better. We're told in Ezekiel that, uh, give a, get a glimpse into the, the neonatal care of that day. Uh, you know, as soon as a baby came out of the womb, you know what they did? They rubbed her in salt. All over. Pattered her down like a ham, you know. It's, uh, <laughs> but that's, that's, the way, that's the way they did it, you know. They, salt was useful medically. But it was also useful... Uh, as a catalyst. You know what a catalyst is? It's something that helps something, uh, a, a process, am I right here, Dan? Helps a process move along, but it doesn't add anything or take anything away from the process, the end product. It's a catalyst. Well, they used to use salt uh, that they would gather, and they would use that in the furnaces. And good salt was a good catalyst that would make the fire hotter. But they also used it in the way that we use it today. How many of you are saltaholics? There's five of you. How many of you have high blood pressure? Of those that you just... Uh, <laughs> salt. Um, we, we understand the seasoning aspect of salt, don't we? Uh, it's, even Scripture tells us that food is bland without salt. We need a little salt. Uh, we make rice. My wife is from Ecuador, and the team will understand that rice is served with everything. It's served with everything. Even if you have potatoes, you have rice too. I don't understand that, but uh, you do. So we have rice for almost every meal. And sometimes it's my turn to, to make the rice. And since I didn't grow up in Ecuador and I never made rice growing up, I leave out the salt sometimes. And if you ever had unsalted rice, it tastes like rice. Uh, which has no flavor, really, not a lot. lot. Uh, but you add a little salt to it, and it, it, it has an amazing flavor. Uh, chefs understand the necessity of just a pinch of salt. Just a pinch at, brings out the flavor of the food, adds to it. 
But you know, in each one of these processes, once you use the salt, once you put the salt on your mashed potatoes or your rice, you don't see the salt anymore, do you? It's completely used up. Once you pat down that ham, not the baby, the real ham, once you pat that down, it becomes that outside crust of the ham. It's completely used up. You don't take a little bit of it and say, well, um, I'm just only going to use half of this salt, so I'm going to pour it in there, and then I'm going to take the half that's not used and pull it back out of it. Can you? Once it's poured into the food, it completely penetrates and becomes part of that and makes a difference in that food, and you can't, you can't pull it back out. It's completely used up. You're the salt of the earth. What was Jesus saying? Now, scholars will debate. There's been big books written on which one of those meanings, if any of those, Jesus meant. And most of us uh, just come down to the fact that it says, we don't know, so let's look at all of them. I think we're called to be a preservative in this world, aren't we? It's your mission to preserve this world, to not let it fall apart, to fight evil, to fight oppression, to fight uh, injustice, to right wrongs. It is our job in the church not just to sit by and let the world happen, but to get involved and to make a difference, to preserve it. We're called to bring healing. Are you a healing agent? Are you an agent of peace? If you're part of the kingdom, you're salt, you're called to be a healing agent wherever you go. Do you bring strife and discord or do you bring people together? If you're, salt, if you're, if you're part of the kingdom, then guess what? You're salt and your job is to bring people together. It's our job to be seasoning. I think God looked down and said, you know, the world is missing it, what it could be without the church. The church adds all the flavor into this world. It adds the God nuance to the world. It reminds everyone that they are not in charge, but God is. That we're not the be-all, end-all. God's our creator. It's used to point, as I love the way Paul talks about it, he says, creation calls out to God, and we're there to point that out, to add flavor to it. We're there to make a difference in this world. But we're also there to be used up. Salt that stays in the salt shaker is of no good. Have you ever pulled out a salt shaker that's been up in the cabinet for a really, really long time and moisture's gotten to it? What do you do with it? You could break it up, yeah. Most of us, though, are going to just say, Toss that out. Salt that stays in the container 
does nobody any good. And so that's why he says, you are the salt of the earth. You are the salt outside of this. You're the salt outside of this community. Yeah, we love to be salt with each other, and we love it. We, we, I think we get saltier as we hang out with each other and we grow. But you're called to be salt where? There. Outside. Not here. This is where we get to use the salt of worship. Uh, what God's doing in our life, His Spirit in our life, just adds flavor to our worship, adds a, a different element to our worship, and we are so thankful for that. But for us to truly be salt of the earth, it has to be done out there. You're the salt, not of the salt shaker. You're the salt of the earth. So he asks us a question. It's a really good question. What good is salt if it loses its saltiness or has lost its flavor? What good is salt if it's not salt anymore? Now, uh, if any uh, chemists in there, we understand that the chemical properties of salt can't change. Uh, NaCl, sodium chloride, is sodium chloride. It's not going to lose the taste part of that. If it's salt, it's salt. But in the first century, uh, it could lose its saltiness. Now, why is that? Well, because they got the salt from the Dead Sea. I don't know, can you see that? Uh, can you want to take down the lights, the platform lights a little bit? Maybe they can see it a little bit better. That's the Dead Sea. And uh, you know why they call it the Dead Sea? Because nothing lives in it. You know why nothing lives in it? Matt, yeah, you raised your hand. Because it's salty, and it's super, super salty. It's so salty, all the water comes in, and all the minerals, salt minerals drain off of the, uh, the, the surrounding t- territory, and it all goes into the Dead Sea, and in and stays there. It's so salty that you'll see uh, there are spas that are built around the Dead Sea, and you can float, literally just float, on the top of the water because the salinity level is so high that you, it's hard to sink. Have you, anybody ever been to the Dead Sea? You been swimming in it? Uh, did you float? Okay, I'll trust you, Bob. Uh, but they also didn't just float in the Dead Sea, especially back in the first century. It was the source of salt. So what they would do is they would pile it in piles like this and allow it to dry. And then they would scoop it up and then they would sell it. And it was, it, it cost, you ever heard that term, it's you're worth your weight in salt? It's because it was a valuable commodity because it was so important to everyday life. I think it speaks to something about us too that we are important to the everyday life of this world. We're necessary as long as we're salty. But what would happen sometimes is there's a mineral called gypsum that looks just like salt, and it would evaporate too, and it would be packed up into a cake of salt as well. But guess what? That salt, that, the gypsum, it's not salt. It tastes like rocks. It doesn't taste like salt. And so if you happen to go to the market and you bought some salt that wasn't pure salt, they would say it got stale or it lost its saltiness. And you know what you did for it? You couldn't throw it in the fire because it wouldn't be a catalyst. You couldn't put it in womb because it wouldn't do anything. You didn't put it on your food because it didn't taste like anything. And you certainly didn't use it in the ritual because it wasn't pure salt. So what did you do with it? 
What'd you do with it? If you have your Bible open, it'll tell you. It's worthless at that point. Actually, the original language says it's foolish at that point. It's of no value. And only the thing it's good for is to be thrown out on the path and to be stepped on. If you have Christ in your heart today, and I know many of you do today, if you have Christ in your heart, you're the salt of the earth. But if you're not being salt, if you're not being a preservative, a healing agent, an agent of change in this world, a something that points to our Creator, then you're not being very good salt. If you're just staying in the salt shaker, you're not doing your job as salt. Jesus went on to say, salt that's not salty or salt that stays in the salt shaker is just as foolish as light that's hid. He says after that, you're the light of the world, the city on a hilltop that can't be hidden. And then he says a duh question. No one lights a lamp in a dark house to see with and then puts a bushel basket over the lamp. No one does that because the only reason you light light is to be able to see. Well, covering up a light is just as useless as you being salt but not being salty in the world. Jesus says you're about as much good to the kingdom if you're not being salty in the world as a light that's on but is hidden. It just doesn't make sense. So how do you live this out then? Well, he tells us, in the same way, in the same way, just like salt needs to be salty in the world to be salt, light needs to be shown to be light, you be salt and light in the world by letting your testimony shine out. Verbal testimony, right? So we can stand up on the corner uh, at Walgreens there, at the corner of the bypass. Courtney, can we do that? Put up big signs. We know, we know the boss there now. Um, we're going to put up big signs and, and shout as loud as we can, Jesus saves. Maybe merit in that. But how did Jesus say you're going to be light and salt in this world? By letting your good words or good deeds. Let them point to God so that everyone will then see what God's done in your life, see the change, see how you completely trust Him in circumstances where it doesn't make sense to trust, see how He's changed your life, how you live differently now, and that they will ultimately praise God and have Him as their Savior as well because of you in their life. You know the main reason salt becomes unsalty? It's because it dilutes itself. It compromises. It says, that's too weird for me. I want to be like everybody else. That's not normal. They may think I'm a freak or a fanatic. 
And Jesus says, you're salt. You are different. There's nothing else on this world that tastes like you. You're different. If you try to become like the world, you become diluted and useless. Be the salt. Allow Christ to live in your life in such a way, allow the Holy Spirit to guide you in such a way that you are different. The world needs to see not a judgmental church, but a church that loves, is kind, and shows good deeds that point to their Father, our Father. How salty are you? Maybe a better question is, do you want to be salt? We want to be saved, but we're not so sure we want to be salt. Because being salt may take us out of our comfort zone. Being salt may make that mean that we make hard decisions. Being salt may mean that we are different. But Jesus said, you can't be saved and not be salt. You are salt. We need to start being salt. Now, there's a group of us that are going to be salt uh, several, uh, several hundred miles south of us here. I think it's easier to be salt in a place that we don't know, with people that we don't know, in a language that we don't know. We're going to be shaking around and pouring ourselves out, being used up in such an amazing way. Well, honestly, that's pretty easy. You know, it's where it's hard to be salt in your own family, in your house. It's hard to be salt at work when there may be expectations of you that don't fit who you are as a Christian, who Christ expects you to be. It's hard to be salt there. It's hard to be salt in our community when we see things that should not be happening. People who are, who are hurting, who are broken, people who are being abused, and we say, well, that's somebody else's job. No, that's not somebody else's job. That's our job. It's easier to get on a plane and go to South America to be salt than it is to be salt right here. But God's called us to be salt right here too. I'm going to ask Gabby to come back to the piano. And we just sing that song, I Surrender All. But I'm going to ask you this question. Do you want to be salt? If the answer is yes to that, then I want you to do something that I, don't, I normally don't ask you to do. Uh, I want you, if, if the answer to that is yes, I want you to come down and I want to pray for you. I want you to come and kneel, and I want to pray for you because I know that accepting this mission that you've been giving is one of the hardest things you'll ever do. It's going to take courage. It's going to take guts. It's going to take a commitment. It's going to take this community encouraging you. It's going to take you allowing the Holy Spirit to completely lead and guide your life. Do you want to be salt? You want to be salt. If the answer to that is yes, I'm just going to ask you to stand up where you are, slip out, and come, and I want to pray for you because I want to encourage you. I want you to know that I'm here along beside you and that you have a whole family that's going to be salt with you. 